Well, thank you very much uh, for the warm welcome that we've received. As this is your first Sunday, it's mine too, so uh, we can all feel nervous and uh, relax, and, and it'll be great. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at John uh, chapter 4, but as I thought about what I wanted to preach over these next kind of three weeks, I have three weeks in there, and then the installation happens on the 10th, and then, and then we'll, we'll kick things off, and I have a direction that we'll go, and I'll share that as we, we're going. So I have these three Sundays. What do I do with these three Sundays? And I, um, I began to think about the, uh, the woman at the well and read, reading that story. And I want to take uh, three Sundays to be able to walk through that story and look at that story that is there about the woman at the well. And I see that story about a woman who is long, longing to belong. She's seeking to belong. And uh, it's not happening until she encounters Jesus. And so there are three messages I want to give. The first one is, is the message that I'll give today, which is belonging brings conversation. And that's these first 15 verses. And then we'll move into belonging brings revelation. And then we'll end off with belonging uh, brings transformation. So those are three messages. We'll look at this, this woman at the well as uh, she encounters Jesus. So let me give you a, a little bit about maybe who I am, a little bit of uh, growing up for me. Uh, it was 1980. Some of you remember 1980. Uh, I was in junior high, and uh, I was actually in grade eight. I was 13 years old, and I had walked into the uh, library, and there around the table were these girls. They were the it girls. Those are the girls that uh, you wanted them to talk to you. And I walked into the library, and they looked at me, and they, they said this, come over here, Scott. And I thought, wow, this... Did I go? Here we go. I'm back. Okay. So I went over to, uh, to the table that they were at. I sat down. As I sat down, they slid a piece of paper across the table to me, and they said to me, hey, we put a list together. What do you think? And as I looked at the list, they said, this list is the list of the top 10 boys or in, in grade 8. And so I, uh, I kind of knew that... Um, that I wasn't going to be in the, you know, the top three. I mean, that's probably Mark. Uh, that's, going to, that's probably going to be Shane. That's probably going to be Kevin. It wasn't going to be Scott. But maybe, maybe I'd be in the bottom three. Maybe I'd be in the bottom three. <laughs> and so I quickly did what any grade eight boy would do and handed a list like this. I scanned for my name. And guess what I found? I was not on that list. <laughs> uh, I tried to do the best I could to cover my disappointment, as you could do at grade eight. And uh, I, I, they wanted to know what my thoughts were. And so I said, wow, it looks like a pretty good list to me. And I slid it back, and I got up, and I started walking out of the library, forgetting why I came to the library in the first place. And of course, at that point, I'm, I'm asking myself, where do I belong? Where do I belong? in this grade eight class. And I think actually this is a question for all of us, is where do we belong? Where do we belong 
in church, in life, in community, in this world. And I believe that there's a hunger to belong. I think all of us sitting here want to belong. We want to know that we are part of something. Modern psychology, it says this, it tells us this. It says psychology tells us that that the sense of belongness, also known as the need to belong, refers to a human emotional need to affiliate with or to accept to be accepted by members of a group. Examples of this would include the need to belong to a peer group at school, to accept, be accepted by coworkers, to be part of an athletic team, or to be part of a religious group. We all want to belong. I find it interesting that the word belong, belonging is, is two words, to, to be. To be is, to, speaks about identity, to be somebody. And if I was to ask you who you are, many of you would maybe start off by telling me what you do for work or where you live or what you have done for work. So what is our identity? And then longing is a strong desire or craving for something or someone. Belonging. So I walked out of that library and my heart was searching for identity. I was searching for belonging. So who was I? If I wasn't one of the top 10 boys, then what was my identity? Where did I belong? Funny that even at that age, something dawned on me as I, as I kept on walking away from that library. It dawned on me that as, even though I was disappointed I wasn't on that list, I was actually on another list. A list that you could not see but it was a list of one who was trusted. Do you think they would have shown that list to any of the top 10 boys? Not a chance. But my list, the list that that I was on was this list that said, we actually trust you to show you the list and to give us your opinion. Here's what I want us to try to remember as we go through this series. To truly belong is to be fully known. To truly belong is to be fully known. Think about that. The people that know you most, and they still like you, don't you feel like you belong? The people that know you most and still love you, don't you feel like you belong? They fully know you. But that is the hard part because we walk around struggling that if you really knew who I was, if you really knew everything about me, would you like me? Would you still love me? I mean, I'm standing up here, and here I am my first Sunday as, as the pastor here in this church, and I want you to like me. I want to finish this message, and you go, wait, way to go, Scott, we like you. But there's a danger in that, isn't it? So, there is something in which, for all of us, we desire to have a sense of belonging. And when we know that we're fully known and we still are loved, we know we're at the right place. 
So, if you have your Bibles, and I want to encourage you, one way or another, whether it's this type of Bible, or you pull out this and you look at this, hopefully you won't be too distracted by what's there, but, but I want you to have Scripture open. This is, this is important to me. The words that I say, okay, but the words that are here, they are the most important. This is what guides us. This is what leads us. And the power of the Holy Spirit reveals the truth that is here. So, if you have your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to walk our way through uh, this, this passage here. And so the first point I want to look at is that, is that there's a conversation with an unlikely person. Jesus and the Samaritan woman have a conversation, and it's really unlikely that they would have a conversation together. They go through Samaria. Not all Jews went through Samaria. Samaria was a dangerous place. You could be robbed. Um, Samar- the Samaritans, as you probably know, were people that, that were half Jews and half Gentiles. And, and so they were kind of in and out, aren't I? All right, I'll just keep moving things here. Behind A backup. There we go. All right. So, am I working now? Okay. Here we are. Good. So, Jesus has a conversation with this woman, and it's an unlikely conversation. Um, She she comes to the well at noon. We read that, that Jesus finds himself at the well. It's, it's the sixth hour or it's, it's noon. And uh, again, if you've been around church, you, you probably know this, but I'll share it anyway. Why is she coming at noon? If you're going to be hauling water, why would you haul water in the heat of the day? Um, you go early in the morning or you go late in the afternoon. And, and so there was a reason why she came at noon, and it was to, to avoid those who were at the well. And we'll, we'll find, we'll, we'll, we'll look at later on again why that was, but she was avoiding the well when other people were around because she didn't feel like she belonged. And then another unlikely conversation is that, is that she had a conversation with a Jewish male. And she even says that, like, why are you, you a Jewish male, why are you asking me for a drink of water? Now, she would have been considered by the Jews to be an unclean person, not just by her lifestyle, that, that at this point in time, we would maybe think or, or look at and say nobody really knew that. But just the very fact that she was a Samaritan would have put her in an unclean situation. And here Jesus is is saying, give me some water, which means that whatever she touches, he's going to touch. And the Jewish people just didn't do that. But he did. So there's an unlikely conversation that happens. And I wonder, I wonder that day as she made her way up noontime to get water, and picture with me, and I'm going to take some liberty here, but I, I like to do that every once in a while as I look at Scripture. She's walking up to the well, and as she's walking up to the well, she sees somebody there. And maybe she thought, oh, man, I come to this well because I don't want anybody here. 
She doesn't know who he is. Doesn't even know if it's a male, perhaps, but she sees somebody there. And if she was like me, I think at that point in time, I would begin to walk a little slower. I'd linger a little bit, hoping that whoever was there would leave. But he doesn't. Matter of fact, she gets close enough to see that it is a male, and she gets even closer, and she sees that it's a Jew. And do you think that she wanted to be there with a Jew? No, I don't think she wanted to be there with a Jew. Why? Because she didn't feel like she belonged there. Perhaps would have felt condemned. And then, of course, I don't think she would have tried to make eye contact with him. Because we don't do that, do we? When we don't feel welcome, we don't feel wanted, we don't engage. And we try to do everything we can not to engage. And yet, he does. He doesn't let her go. He looks at her, and he says to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then Jesus says, If you knew the gift of who it is that it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. There is a need for water. Give me a drink. She went to the well because she needed water. She came with a physical need. But there was something much greater than the physical need. There was a spiritual need. There was a thirst in her, something to be quenched, like all of us. She had a need to quench the past choices, which brought her shame. So this woman comes to draw water at noon. Because I think that these past choices that she made, and the ones that she's presently living in, brought her shame. Pause for a moment in your own life. What have you done? What choices have you made that you would be able to say, I can actually identify with this woman? I have things in my life I don't want anybody to know about. And they seem very shameful to me. You know, there are some things and there are some shame that some of you carry, not because of what you have done, but what somebody has done to you. That also hurts. We also try to hide. You know, our past, present, our, our present and our past choices can keep us from feeling like we belong. Our identity is skewed, and, and our true sense of belonging is replaced by loneliness. And when we succumb to the lies and our shame, it will cause us to live and act in a way God never intended us to live or act. Shame is interesting because it actually keeps us guarded. Our shame will keep us guarded from the people around us. It'll actually even keep us guarded from God, which is amazing because we know that God knows all things, right? Does he know everything about you? He certainly does. And yet we will keep that back. We will will even hide that. I like this. Tyler Stanton has written this about shame. He says, shame becomes a storyteller. 
Shame is the, is, shame is the place God's grace cannot touch. Instead of being redeemed by the author, shame becomes the author. Now, you and I know that grace can touch that, but if we, we live in shame, we stop that grace from touching it. John Orberg, he says this. He says, shame does not have to be bad if it moves or drives us to God. However, shame that holds us from God is not good. But shame left in it to its demise will lock us down and rob us of a relationship and ultimately rob us of relationship with God. It keeps us from belonging. Because when we live in shame, we conclude that if you really knew me, you would not accept me. But I love what happens here. Jesus recognizes the deep need of how he views her. She needs physical water, is what she thinks. But he sees her as knowing that what she needs is a spiritual healing. Jesus sees her as an image bearer of God. He sees her as an image bearer of God. He looked at her and he determined how he would respond. He chose to engage in a conversation with her. I need some water. I need some water. He doesn't despise her. He doesn't walk away from her. He engages in a conversation with her. I'm challenged by that. And this is where I'm challenged. I'm challenged by it by the way that I view other people around me. How do I view the people around me, the people that I engage with? Somebody who's a little different, somebody who looks different, acts different. How do I engage with them? How do I see them? Do I see them as image bearers of God? Or do I see them as that person who is addicted to drugs? Do I see them as somebody who has a different lifestyle that I don't agree with? I mean, this woman had a lifestyle that was not good. But he, Jesus, engaged with her because he saw her as God's child. He says this, if you, knew who, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that was saying it to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. A gift of God. I love that. Who, what is the gift of God? The gift of God is Jesus. He is the gift of God. And, and there's two parts to this gift that I think are very, very important. And the first gift is this, is the gift of God of eternal life. Jesus is and through him, we have eternal life, right? Amen, we do. That is wonderful and that is good, but it doesn't stop there. If we stop there, we have missed so much of who Jesus Christ is. It goes so much deeper than that because the gift of God is abundant life. That's, who he's, that's what Jesus said. I came to give you life, to give you abundant life. 
And I find too many of us, and I have lived too many years of my life not in the abundant life. I have eternal life. I know that. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. I look forward to that day that I do not have to struggle and fight with sin anymore. But in the meantime, I want to still live an abundant life. And so this gift is not just what is to come. It is what is right now. For the kingdom of God is at hand right now. And that abundant life is for us today to engage with and to know. And it starts when we begin to have a conversation with God. Because he wants to have a conversation with us. It doesn't matter what your life is. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter the things that you have done, the things that you have said, the places you have gone, the things you have viewed. It does not matter. He looks at you and he says, I want to have a conversation with you because you are a child of God. And I have abundant life for you. That abundant life doesn't mean that I'm going to be wealthy and healthy, although it could. But there's something much greater because what Jesus says here is that it's living water. It's living water. And that living water, it's, it, it speaks of something from heaven. It's something much greater than just the fact of, of living. Matter of fact, if you were to look at that word of how it is translated, we better translate it as running water, of running water. This means that, that it's a stream. And I, uh, you know, I, I love to go out hunting, and there are times that I have not taken enough water, and I will not choose a pool of water that is stagnant. My dad will tell me never drink water out in the woods. He's a water quality specialist. It's full of beaver fever. And, um, and I just ignore him as long as it's running. I drink it. It's okay right now. <laughs> but I love, I love the fact that Jesus says, I want to give you running water. Not a water out of well, but running water. That's the abundant life. That's the abundant life that he's talking about. There's a thirst inside of each one of us. It hungers. It's deep because it's Christ in us saying, I have more for you. I have more for you. I have more for you. Don't be satisfied with a little, because I am abundant. You cannot exhaust me. You can never exhaust my resources. Her thirst was to belong, to be whole, not to be rejected, and not to be broken. She came for physical water, but Jesus knew she needed spiritual water. And you and I today need spiritual water. He goes on to say in verse 13, if you want to look there, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you thirst? Are you thirsty today? 
So I want to bring, start to bring us home, kind of land the plane. Our need. Our need is for living water. She says this. I love it. He finally, he finally engages her where she says, the woman said to her, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's still thinking physical, and he's moving her to the spiritual, right? And sometimes we think, we still think physical, but he wants us to move us into the spiritual, Maybe there is something you can identify with this woman. I'm not saying that you're sitting here in adultery, but I'm saying maybe you're sitting here longing and thirsting and hungering for something more. Maybe there's an area of your life where you feel shame, deep shame. You have done something, you have said something, you have acted, you have engaged in something, and you feel great shame. I want to say to you today that Jesus wants to have a conversation about that with you. And we'll look next week about the conversation that he has with her. But I want you to know he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants you to sit down with him, not to hide, not to run, not to come at noon. He wants you to come right now in his presence and say, here I am, and this is what's keeping me from feeling like I belong. He wants to engage with you. He wants to give you living water. He wants you to draw from a well that is not stagnant. Jeremiah 2.13, it says that Israel had committed two sins. They forsook God, the fountain of living water, and they dug their own cisterns that don't work. And we do that. We dig our own cisterns and they don't work. We come to God and we hide and we cover up. And God says, don't hide and cover up from me. You can't. Come as you are, and I will show you what living water looks like. Stop thinking that you're not good enough <clears throat> to come to him. You are. And then I want to say this. Our need is to look at people around us as image bearers of God. Psalm 139. How many know that psalm? Yeah. Okay, so if I said that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, yeah, now we know, now we know. All right, isn't that great? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows me full well. He knows when I rise, when I, when I, when I lie down. He has knitted me together in my mother's womb. He put me together. Isn't that wonderful? He put me together. Me, 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 me. You, 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 you. Others, 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 others. If you're good enough for that verse, then people outside of you are good enough for that verse. I am challenged by that. I think that I would probably not have engaged at the woman, the Samaritan woman. I would not engage with her. Whether I think I am too good for her or I just think that she's not good enough. But God wants us to engage with people. Seeing others as image bearers of God is loving our neighbor. I'll talk about that more next week of what it looks like to love our neighbor.
But I think these are the two crucial things that I read in here. One is, is how do you see God sees you? And that we need to engage in conversation, let nothing hold us back. And secondly, how do we see other people around us? And so this week, I would challenge you, when you go to the grocery store and you, you're walking out of the, you go to the checkout, and if you're doing self-checkout, it's not going to work, but you, uh, you, you go to the checkout and you're, you're there and you look at that person and say, that person is an image bearer of God. You go out to eat, and the server, that server, you look at him, that person is the image bearer of God. That person who cuts you off when you're driving, you say, that is an image bearer of God. What would it look like if we, <laughs> what would it look like if we began to see people in that way? What kind of conversations would we have? No, we may not go to this depth that Jesus did, but it may begin there. It may start there that somebody actually looks at me and recognizes me and that I have an identity, that I actually belong. So I come back to the one thing that I want us to remember, and that is to truly belong is to truly to, to be fully known. To truly belong is to be fully known, and God fully knows us. Father, I am challenged by this story. An unlikely conversation. It leads, ultimately, it leads to eternal life, leads to transformation. Father, that I would find myself, that we would find ourselves first recognizing that you love us immensely. That, Lord, we would not allow shame to define us but we would seek to be healed and renewed and restored. And Lord, that we would look around at the people around us and that we would ask God, give me your eyes, give me your heart for the people around me, that I would see them as you see them, those that are broken, those that are wounded, those that are hurting. And Lord, that you would give me your love for them. I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.